What is going on, everybody? I hope this finds you well. And we have another wonderful guest lined up for you. And it doesn't get much better than this. Uh, When it comes to talking through thought process, strategy, and evaluation of just how you approach your leagues, uh, practical application, it doesn't come all that much better than talking with J. Mike. I mean, the man has just a, a wonderful way of weaving both his strategy and his words together and just turning it into a beautiful story. And we got him and Adam to discuss one of their, I guess, the antics involved in one of their leagues together to give you guys a better idea of how they approach the league. So I wanted to go ahead and get into part one where we hop into at least our top 12 and super flex and also getting into some of their ideas and, uh, and discussions about strategy. So hope you all enjoy. And in part two, we'll get we dive a bit more into it. Uh, but again, hope you all enjoy. It's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors. Chris Allen and a- a- Adam Wildy. You got a Yeti? Yes. I talked into the back of a Yeti for a better half of a, a year. I didn't that's know. That's what you have now or that's what you had? No, I had, I've been had it, but I was talking into the back of it for over a year. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so your mute, so that red light, the mute button, you had it turned around the other way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw something. <laughs> That's and hilarious. I sounded okay, but like I was getting real pissed that I didn't sound perfect. Yeah. So, I, so I started looking shit up on the internet. And, uh, they told me to make sure that I set, uh, you know how it has settings where you can either do like the whole room or right in front of it or whatever. Like, yeah. make sure you have it set right in front of it. And I looked at it. I was like, I do have that set. But the diagram was facing the other way. I was like, there's Man. no fucking way. There's no fucking way. So I turned so it around. with J. Mike? Yeah. So you know what I'm working with here? That's easily, easily the funniest thing I've heard in a minute. That's good, man. That's too good. I'm ready whenever you jokers are. It's on you. All right. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Dynasty Owner's Manual. I'm joined today by my co-host that I will never forget to mention first, Chris Allen, at Chris Allen FFWX. I did not mention him a couple episodes ago, and I almost got my hosting duties taken away indefinitely. And then we got our man, J. Mike. J. Mike from the Open Bar, our favorite Tuesday nights. Was it 9.30, never late, always early, always on time? I have the T-shirt. Don't remember what it says. J. Mike, how are you? <laughs> Listen, I'm 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 automatic at this point. So this is this is where I need to be right now. This is the place there. to be. I'm excited to be with you guys. A couple of my brothers. So this is good. I'm excited to be able to chop it up okay. with you guys. And yeah, ne- never late, always on time. Uh, it's always 9:30 p.m. ish. If you put the ish on, you can't be upset when we start like 9:53 because we told we do. You know what I'm saying? I wish you had told me that while I was in the military. It might have been <laughs> worked out a little better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can't say you're there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I threw the issue on it. I thought it was going to be acceptable. <laughs> All right. So the first part of the show, at least, uh, J. Mike and I are in Trade Attic 6 with Russ Fisher, Dynasty Outhouse, and Brian Haar. They're uh, Trade Addicts leagues. Some of the best leagues. It's one of the only leagues where I've got a chat where I'm here and I'm seeing how people are. I, I show you all my projects. It's one of those leagues that you really like to just chat it up in. 
and we put a lot of effort into it, especially me, you, and actually a couple other people. Jesse Reeves is in there, and he acquired a bunch of picks in that too. So we're going to run through our top 12 rookies between the the three of us. Um, that's super flex, of course. I'm sorry, one QB people, but we just don't talk about y'all much anymore. I can't do it. Um, so we'll go through our top 12 rookies real quick just so everybody sees where our head's at what kind of players that we're trying to get, what kind of position we were trying to get in this draft. And then we'll go through the specifics. J. Mike and I both traded up uh, pretty similarly, actually with the same person, Shane Manella from uh, uh, Dynasty Trade Headquarters. So he's also in this league. And uh, we both traded up. We both got into earlier in the first, and we'll talk about why here in a second. But, J. Mike, you're the guest. Just uh, rattle off your top 12 uh, Superflex rankings. Yeah, and I'll and I'll run through it swiftly. And I've I've even done some tweaking since this draft because mm-hmm. this draft was literally on the heels of the actual NFL draft. I think obviously right. the draft ended on a Saturday, and I believe mm-hmm. that we started on the following Monday. So even as I've walked through this draft, I went looked back and saw some things that I probably would have done over. Uh, but this is how it looks to me at this time. So uh, in all likelihood. I'm taking Joe Burrow at the top, 101. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I want to take Tua at 102, I really have a hard time not having both Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Alaire at the 102 one, 103 spot. I love Tua. I think that he's going to offer great value. But the potential value spike that both of those guys have ahead of what I think Tua is going to be doing in year one. I think he's going to be doing a lot of sitting. I think Fitzpatrick, the magic is probably going to fade, but uh, it will still allow Tua to be able to get his feet under him, learn some things under the new Changeli offense, all those things. Um, so, yeah, so I've got Tua at 104. Uh, and you can toss a coin with, with Tua or 102 and 103 with JT and Clyde. Um, currently, I'm at J- I'm Jonathan Taylor. Uh, a week ago, I was at Clyde, and it's it's back and forth. But I like both of those guys quite a bit. And I don't know if this will be a precursor, Wildy, for what you and I discussed in the midst of the draft, but this is where it gets uh, a lot of anxiety built up. Uh, (laughs) You've got a a 33.33% chance of being right, uh, of being wrong, uh, or just feeling absolutely gross at the end of it. So uh, currently, after our draft, I actually have J.K. Dobbins. I love his fit in Baltimore, and I love that organization. I love their commitment to what they're doing, and I like the way that he fits in that offense. So J.K. Dobbins would be my 105. DeAndre Swift, actually, would be my 106. And I've got uh, C.D. Lamb at 107. Love C.D. Lamb. Uh, and, and I've even got one more in front of Cam Akers right here. You know, people will swear that I hate Cam Akers, and that's not the case. It's the fact that I love C.D. Lamb, and I love Justin Jefferson. Y'all know that's my man's prior to the draft uh b- big justin jefferson fan uh, and the fact that he landed in minnesota i'm i'm all wheels up and the rest of the round would finish out as jalen rager uh jerry judy and this is toss up between a few guys but denzel mims uh coming mm-hmm. in at 112 so rager right. and mims to finish the round that was a lot of precursors <laughs> yeah, sorry I gotta try. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah we'll get to it we'll get to it let's let's go with you next chris Okay, uh, not too much of a difference from uh, J. Mike up at the top. I think Burrow at 101 makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, I, I've been going, I've been looking at it more from uh, like 
I could do I could see JT at the 102 and then CEH at the 103. If you want to flip him around because you like Kansas City, you think Demi Williams is washed or he's not going to be with the team after 2020. All right, fine. Uh, but then, yeah, I'd probably uh, slide two in right there behind him at the 104. Um, I do agree uh, with uh, Dobbins ahead of DeAndre Swift. Uh, so that would be my 105 and then 106. Uh, 107, uh, I, I still have Judy there. Uh, my, my thought is uh, this is where I, I'm, I might be projecting too much. Because when you're looking at Judy and CeeDee Lamb, I mean, the, your target competition uh, is, is a little bit different. Uh, I'm thinking that the, the path for Jerry Judy to see more targets, uh, he has a quicker path to targets than, than CD. But I could be wrong. But that's at least that's that's my minor tweak on the situation. But if you wanted to tell me that CD attached to Dak is much greater than Judy attached to Drew Locke, I'm 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 with that. I'm definitely with that. Um, shortly after that, uh, yeah, I can I can see Justin Jefferson like uh, pulling up there. Acres after that, uh, and then at the at the back end, uh, I've I still have Rager. I mean, I, I've got to I've got to show some love uh, for the, at least he was. Up there with the top tier of wide receivers, at least for me, throughout most of the draft. Uh, and then even after, even with the landing spot, uh, I mean, Philly is one of those places that I knew I, I wanted. I'd preferred a guy like maybe CD, Justin Jefferson, one of those, like the, the guys that we had had more hype surrounding them, like throughout the process. But Rager going there, um, I'm hoping that he can make some magic uh, over the next couple of years. So that, that kind of rounds out uh, my top 12. Okay, and I'm going to give you my top 12, and I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do after because they ain't going to make much sense at all when we start talking about what I actually did at this draft. But I'll take both QBs at the top, and J. Mike, you absolutely right. It's so, I mean, I almost want to take Taylor just straight up one-on-one. Uh, I love the guy, but in Superflex, it's just so hard, and I, <laughs> I get made fun of, especially by my brother, because I'm just – QB agnostic, even in Superflex. I feel like there is an edge to be had, but you do have to still be able to start them. So I take Joe Burrow and Tua at 101 and 102, followed by Jonathan Taylor at 103, Clyde Edwards Hellair at 104. Um, this is going to be interesting here in a second when we talk about our draft. But 105, I would take J.K. Dobbins. 106, I would take Swift. Seven, Herbert. And then we'll start talking about wide receivers, actually acres, I'm sorry, and then start talking about wide receivers. I think CD has to stay at the top. I just want guys attached to really good offenses in the long run. Uh, CD was already my wide receiver too. Uh, Judy dropped a lot for me actually, and he was my wide receiver one. So we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but after CD Lamb, I'll take Reger, and then I'll take your man Justin Jefferson, and then I'll take Judy. And then I think I've got two more from there. So after Judy is going to be um, rugs for me and then followed by um, Higgins. But I'm the three of Higgins and Pittman and Mims to me, they just move so much. I like the three so much um, mm-hmm. and really rugs too. But the upside with rugs, which we'll get to towards the end of the show is just it is pretty incredible for that price, uh, especially since if you're picking at that spot, you were probably a pretty good team. Unless, you know, the pick was traded, it happens all the time. But um, if you are a really good team, 
are you really going to be hurting too bad if Ruggs doesn't hit? Similar to Andy Isabella last year. Um, he was the 112 in a lot of leagues, and he didn't hit, of course, but you were probably still good. So that's where I stand on my rookie evaluations. But, J. Mike, we made two trades with Shane Manella, you and I, back-to-back. Um, I'm going to go into why I did mine first. Um, the first thing we did, this is like J. Mike said, uh, right after the draft, I want to say it was that Wednesday maybe, uh, the week after the draft, though, uh, it really started to shape up that all of these running backs got pretty good spots. Um, the the biggest kind of uh, for us is Swift, but he was you. It says right here in your notes when you drafted him, he was your highest tape grade. He was my my highest tape grade too. He's my running back one for probably longer than he should have been. Um, he's gonna be a lot better than Carry On. I mean, if you look back and. You think about Carry On coming out two years ago. You liked Carry On because he did everything okay, but he did everything, and that was my evaluation of Carry On. I like him because he does what you need to do in the NFL, which is turn two yards into four yards, turn four yards into eight yards. But Swift can do so much more than that. You're not watching Swift film and coming away and saying, "Yeah, yeah he does everything all right. That's pretty good. You know, that's going to be good for it." You're looking at him like. How did he do that? So that's where Swift kind of becomes a big deal for me. But other than that, everyone looked good. So I wanted to get a running back, but I also wanted to get a wide receiver or sorry, a quarterback. So I had the 109 and I just didn't think that Cam Akers was going to fall there. I I did not see that coming. So I felt like one of the jump from 109 to 107 was actually a pretty big teardrop to me. So I spent the 109 and the 207 to acquire the 107. Those picks ended up being J.K. Dobbins for me. And Shane ended up getting Justin Jefferson and Brian Edwards. I really like Brian Edwards. He shot up draft board so far. So that looks pretty good. But J.K. Dobbins might have landed in the best situation out of all of them. I mean, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, of course, he went to Kansas City. That looks very attractive. But, I mean, being paired with Lamar Jackson for your your whole tenure, um, sharing with Mark Ingram a little bit at first, that looks really good for J.K. Dobbins. So right after that, J. Mike, I'll let you talk about your trade a little bit. Probably the same. It was at least the same night. uh, Shane moves that. He moves. You, get, you yeah, got so, it. So at that point, yes, I got it. Yeah, I okay. got it up. So okay. I uh, so right after you sent Shane the one oh nine, I said, hey, I think uh, that I can uh, get the one oh nine from Shane because I was unsuccessful getting the one oh nine or the one oh five from you earlier in the nine point scoring season. Shout out to you, Russ. Uh, so I took my one twelve and a two oh eight and I moved up to one oh nine. So I was the one that ended up with Jefferson and and I felt like and I still feel that way even now if I can get to 109 or 110 I feel so good and super flex about any of my top 10. So basically that that basically for me it ends with about Acres. So it's Acres, Jefferson, CD, the running backs, the quarterbacks um and and I feel really good about that. So the goal was, and no, I guess we'll keep walking this out. So, uh, I, and, and shortly thereafter, I took the 109 
uh, excuse me, I ended up actually drafting at 109, but then shortly thereafter, I also had a 110, and mm-hmm. I paired that with a 204, and I jumped up to 106. <laughs> and I think that this is the one that scared the pants off of you, Wildy. Yeah, <laughs> this is absolutely. the one that scared you because because we're, we're both in positions where we 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 kind of want uh, we kind of want quarterback. We wanted to be able to get some of the action on, on the elite running backs, and we didn't want to be someone who missed out on all of that action because we knew the top seven would have that. So yep. when I took 106 or when I basically snuck into that 106 spot and you were sitting at 107, you were thinking, crap, I probably, you know, I thought I'd be able to sneak away with one of those top backs and then I'd still be able to get Herbert. Yep. And then when I jumped in there, I think it threw you off. But what what's funny is my whole mor- – and, and you and I talked about this before before the draft even kicked off. You're like, hey, you're looking at quarterback. And I said, yeah, I don't mind sharing. I don't mind sharing what's going on because I'm, I'm sitting there. You always <laughs> have to try. You always have to try. If you've got a question, the only thing you can do is ask. They have can to. laugh at you and say no, and you still don't know anything, but you might. Have to. Have to. And, and my quarterback room uh, – so, Chris, to give you some background, my quarterback room uh, – and, and this was a team that I had that I was flush with picks. I had a lot of really good players on my team in the actual season. Um, ended up missing out on the the bye week um, by mm-hmm. one game. The very last week, I actually lost to Wildy the last week of the season, <laughs> and it kicked me out of the two seed, and I dropped down, and I had oh. to play the first weekend, and I lost. I lost the first weekend, so I was sour. <laughs> Anyhow, quarterback room consists of Matt Ryan, and a bunch of just not good. So Kyle Allen, Andy Dalton, all these guys. Okay. I'm like, okay, this can't, this can't stand. So we've got to take care of this one way or the other. I ended up trading earlier with Shane. I, sh- I sent him my 107 to get Carson Wentz. So now I'm not in a position now to where I feel like I have to take a quarterback at 103. The mm-hmm. only reason, and I think this is what had you scared at first, Wildy. It, because I'm sitting there at 103 and I'm sitting there at 107, you have 105 and 107. I have 106, excuse me. If I take Herbert at three, you <laughs> crap your pants. Yep. But you end up with two running backs that you really like. And with the roster that you had, I was okay with letting Herbert go because my whole goal at 103 was making sure that if, for whatever reason, Har or Jesse Reeves passed on Tua or Burrow. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in that. Yep. Mm. And so when 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 that didn't happen, when Burrow and Tua go one and two, I went ahead and took JT at three. I said I'm I'm fine with it. I, I don't need Herbert. I'm confident that Wildy's going to need him because I think he's got like Sam Darnold as his only quarterback. Sam Darnold and Mitch Trubisky are my only two yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. Okay. So so that so that was t- to give you more of the backstory. That's what I had planned on doing with 103. And I told you, like, yeah, I'm looking at one of these running backs or quarterbacks. And I'm, that's probably when you were sweating bullets. Like, <laughs> when you I, said one of these I'm screwed. That's I when screwed. I started trying to acquire Matt Ryan. I, I was like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not playing this game. Let's just get a deal done now for Matt Ryan. And I don't have to play this game. So, and for everybody listening, the reason we're doing this exercise is this is an ultimate practical application. <laughs> this is what we did. So everything we talk about on this show, it comes to this. Yeah. So you get to the point here, and for everybody that's listening at home, Joe Burrow and Tua went one and two. 
I did not think that was going to happen. I thought that J Mike was going to get two at three. So yeah. I don't have to worry about it at five or seven because I'm almost definitely going to get Herbert at that point. Um, Herbert has been falling to the nine, the 10, sometimes even 11 at Superflex. I think that's all crazy, but in no way did I ever want to take him at 105. And I don't want to confuse people here because I often, often say do not draft for need. I'm not drafting Herbert because I'm afraid of my quarterback situation. I will always take the most valuable player. The point here is to make sure that I get who I deem would have been the most valuable player at 107, but then I also get a guy who I thought would probably be the most valuable player at 105. So when I'm sitting at 105 and 107 and I've got J. Mike sandwiching me at three and six, I I don't have a preference on J.K. Dobbins or Swift. I could flip a coin. It changes for me almost every day. So when it comes to me at that 105 spot and I'm looking at Herbert, Swift, or Dobbins, well, I, I got to get Herbert because at 107, I mean, I might miss him with your 106 pick. You very well could have took him because you got Jonathan Taylor at 103, which is amazing. You got him at 103. Now you get to run away and still get a solid young quarterback is what I'm thinking. So I had to take him at 105, and that's just that's crazy in most minds. I mean, he's not going at 105, but really he went at 107 to me because otherwise I would have taken J.K. Dobbins at five. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No question. And, and and at least for me, and Chris, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. The One of the things that, that we have to be mindful of if we're if we're tracking trends. Two things: one, uh, Scott Connor, someone that I, I enjoy the work that he's been doing and the research he's been putting in, and he's really emphasized of late, like man, the the need for or the scarcity for uh, quarterbacks in twelve team superflex leagues isn't as dire as we've deemed it to be for a long time. It's not as 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 scary as it can be, especially when. We recognize that these running backs are the ones that if you don't have legitimate running backs, you're likely not winning a title. Absolutely. Uh, I, I literally ran out of team last year with Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Chris Godwin, Amari Cooper, and I felt fantastic about life. And guess what? When they start getting benched for the ro- in the rotation for Tavon Austin – on yep. a fourth down, and when they start no showing, and somebody gets hurt, or all these random things happening uh, happen with these teams, uh, the wide receiver position becomes something that can let you down in the championship weeks. Uh, it, it's the running backs that are going to be the ones that carry the day. So that was the one thing. The other thing being, with w- when you're in a position, um, and like we had talked about, and it's so funny now, Wildy, that we look back at this. <laughs> we both now have Dobbins ahead of Swift. Yep, and at I the know. time, <laughs> at the time, you and I talked about this. I said I'm taking Swift because his tape grade for me, I, I would have, I would be sick if I if I didn't take Swift. Right, and I loved his tape grade, and I wasn't able to be have conviction in what I felt like that I saw in right. his in in the scouting per se. And I'm no pro scout or anything of that nature, but. That's where I stood with that. So both of those things led to just a really sweat field first half of the first <laughs> round for both of us. <laughs> so what it ended up being is that I I did get to have the running back that I wanted at 107. And then 105, I did get the quarterback I so desperately needed. And for um, 
just for a little aside, the wide receivers that I have are are my bread and butter. I want all of the best wide receivers on my team at all time. That's how I Mm -hmm. build my teams is Keenan Allen, um, Stefan Diggs, Micah Evans, AJ Green, DK Metcalf, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, to name a few. And there's even some other promising guys there. So I built my team around wide receiver, but you need those running backs, like J-Mick said. And so we talk about rebuilds. I will never do anything more than a two-year rebuild. And the only way I can see to flip a team around is to acquire wide receivers cheap in rookie drafts. And then the next year, acquire running backs in your rookie draft. And the only reason I do that is because running backs don't get any cheaper for early production than in rookie drafts. That's the best way to find it because Mm -hmm. what is uncertainty now will not be uncertainty very, very soon. What we look at as Daryl Henderson's going to take all of Todd Gurley's workload or he isn't was very quickly changed into Todd Gurley is going to hold his workload. Um, What is Rojo is going to easily trample Peyton Barber, quickly transitioned into Peyton Barber continuing to be the lead back. So with that uncertainty, there are chance for misses. However, it is way cheaper of a miss given the opportunity cost than if you were to go by Joe Mixon and he decides to hold out. Or Ezekiel Elliott on his huge contract and they just can't keep him, which I understand they have to keep him on that contract. But or your Leonard Fournette, he doesn't pick it, he doesn't get a good team next year. So you you think you want to go invest in those guys because as J Mike said, you have to have productive running backs to win a fantasy football, but you spend so much on such a high risk when you could have spent less on guys like Jonathan Taylor and CEH are right up there with the expensive guys now, but your Dobbins, who actually could produce in year one, they already view him as a three-down back. Uh, your Swift, Cam Akers, might be, he's in a fantastic spot as well. Um, somebody mentioned, yes, their, their offensive line was horrible last year. I think last in the league the year before that, they were fantastic with some of the same guys. So they wouldn't be surprised to see a, a middle ground come this year. Cam Akers' situation looks really good at the 111 there. And, J-Mike, I tried to trade Stefan Diggs for Cam Akers, what, from the 108 back? Yes. Right after I drafted at 107, I said, hold up, I would really like two running backs now. (laughs) Now that I got Herbert, I would really like to get another one of these big five running backs. And I looked at my roster and I said, who do I not feel fantastic about that might hold some value? All the way back until the 112. Uh, and people still preferred the 112 to Stefan Diggs. So that's a good one for you, Chris, since you're a uh, team John Brown over there. Oh yeah. I mean, because he's one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, let's, let's get, let's, let's talk about some facts like real quick. I mean, this, this John Brown slander, man, that this crusade that you've been on is just not going to work. I didn't even know I was on a crusade until me and Chris were texting one day about, um, Actually, it was because of this, uh, because nobody wanted to even trade the 112 for him. I, th- I thought that was just blasphemy. I mean, he's going to uh, an offense that doesn't utilize their wide receivers very effectively. Uh, that's my really nice way of saying that Josh Allen doesn't <laughs> pass very accurately. Well, yeah. <laughs> but 
it's not quite as negative as not being worth a first. I mean, we are talking about Stefan Diggs here, and Chris starts rattling off all the negatives for him, and he mentions the wide receivers. I was like, I don't really know that I consider those wide receivers to be too much of a negative for him. But John Brown did very well with what he had to do last year. That is that is for certain. Yeah, and I think that's where situation becomes a, a big part of – like how we value players, like much more so, especially for for veterans than it would be for uh, for some of the rookies, because we can we can talk positives, we can talk like glaring positives and negatives about a lot of rookies, right? And uh, even with it, even with Acres, right? I can see folks talking themselves into the same the same things that we were saying about uh, Hendo a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Now it's now here comes Acres, and it's like, well, Acres is now going to be the guy. It uh, doesn't even matter that he's got two other running backs that are already st- like still there sitting there waiting, or actually three, because they still got Josh Kelly, right? So it's just even though he walks into a crowded backfield, uh, quarterback is skittish in the pocket, and their his pressure rates, you can see his accuracy drop off whenever he gets pressured, but now Akers is going to wind up being the man. Okay, fine. I same the same situation with Stefan Diggs. I mean, you can talk positives like, yeah, I mean, best route runner in the league or one of, I mean, huge, like uh, when it comes to talking separation, it doesn't get much better, but we're talking about a guy that's now connected to Josh Allen. And so those, those positives now, once you start looking at the situation a bit more, it's like, you can also look at, have to look at the negatives coming into competition with other two wide receivers, two wide receivers that performed well given their volume and how they were used within that offense. And then now, I mean, if we want to bring in real world situations because of COVID, I mean, how much, how much time is Stefan Diggs really going to have to be able to actually get on the same page as Josh Allen? I mean, we have to, we have to incorporate, I mean, what's going on around us into our evaluation of some of these situations. And so I think that, value now becomes uh, uh, those narratives now translate into currency like how be- how great or worse off some of these players are i mean they now become a part of the discussion i mean i tried moving zeke in uh that rotten tomatoes yeah that was a part of yeah and like no i mean nobody's biting i mean nobody wants a nobody wants a piece of a guy that's attached i mean now on his second contract attached to a good offense they would rather take their shots at uh, I mean, Acres, one of those guys, one of those running backs towards the back end of the draft, or even one of the back end of the first round, or one of the wide receivers that are that are going to be there. Those wide receiver ones, or even the guys we were talking about, back end of the first, early second, you know, Rugs, Pittman, so on and so forth. Which to me is wild because I'll take the production. I mean, right. I'll take the bird in the hand, like right now, and right. just go on my merry way. But when you're trying to move them and because you see other needs or you want to try and be able to get out from underneath the cliff. So, you know, as we as we see it for running backs, it's just nobody wants to bite. I mean, but there's but those could be candidates for people that you can trade in season. Right. Once the bullets start flying and, you know, people are fantasy production is now part of the discussion, like actual legitimate games are being played. That's where you might have a little bit more juice to say that. All right, well, even if we do think that Zeke is not going to be on that team in a couple of years or however long, I mean, he's good for your fantasy team right now. Sure. We'll take him right now. So I think that's that's something we have to consider. That second contract's scary, man. 
That they are. I mean, but second contracts can they can work out uh, to players' benefits, mm-hmm. or I mean, you could go the way of Todd Gurley and what he played what one year on that extension, on that huge deal. Yeah, you know, it, it it can go either way. And that's and that's exactly the thing right now, Chris. Because uh, and we took we touched on this last night on the open bar, but. Uh, you, you're the head honcho over there, DLF, Mr. Ryan McDowell. One of his things, uh, and, and I hope I'm crediting him correctly, and, and I'm not sliding someone else, but one of his things that he talks about often is buying back years, right? So, yeah. can I take, can I get in this position to avoid the mess that that Zeke will sometimes find himself in, uh, for 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 worse and for really worse? <laughs> can I can I get away from the mess of the second contract where Todd Gurley could happen and the cliff just falls out from under him? Um, same for David Johnson. Can I can I get up to somebody like JT, get some more on, sprinkled on top, and? Uh, have a little bit more peace of mind about how my roster and how flexible my roster can be in the future, because to, at, we're witnessing uh, at this point, the, these guys who get into these areas and we're even seeing it for wide receivers. I don't know if you guys have tested the market for Mike Evans of late. It's really difficult to get something for Mike Evans. Yeah. I don't like understand it. it. It, it, it compensates you for what his actual value is. Mm-hmm. And the running backs, I think, are going to fall on the same line. So all these guys, your Mixons, your Dalvin Cooks, your Alvin Kamars, the bill's coming due in about a year where you're going to have to push your chips in somewhere. Uh, and, and and whatever you do, you, you obviously the, you hope that you're right. But one of the ideas that you can do, if you can, if you can push the chips in and say, hey, we've had a great run. I'm going to cash out before this gets real ugly real fast, a right. la Todd Gurley. Um, you, you can really save yourself a lot of heartache and a, and a lot of lost value in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. It's so hard, though, right? Because so I view running back specifically like like the stock market. Um, I don't know that the analogy is, is as much – uh, overlapping to fantasy as a lot of people uh, intended to be, but at least for running backs, that's exactly how I view it. You have to know when to get out, and you might get out and see your company triple their earnings right after you sold their stock. You have no idea. You, you, you're just watching them and you're sweating them. And you're just like, is it time to sell? Is it time to sell? Do I sell now? Do I sell after next year when he has 2,000 yards of total offense? I don't know. And you sell and a lot of times you end up selling low because you sold too early. But a lot of times you get stuck with situations like Todd Gurley, who didn't necessarily come out of nowhere because we saw him seed touches to Anderson and him do very well. And then after that, we spent a whole offseason of people saying, oh, his knees are fine. Everybody's playing doctor. Uh, Something Mm -hmm. Chris and I talk about all the time, trying to will results into an existence in fantasy football. You cannot do that. If his knee's bad, his knee's bad. So we did see that one coming. But how many of these guys, I mean, Mixon's contract could go south. We've seen that twice in in recent years. Um, And he has said he is willing to hold out. We're not hearing a lot of news about it right now probably be COVID. Um, he did come into the facility and have a chat with them. We don't know if that went well or not. We just know it happened. I just spent a lot for Z, uh, for Mixon in a league, and I don't even like him. But he fell to the, uh, let's say, 212 in a Superflex mm-hmm. startup. He went behind Dobbins. Uh, he went right around Swift. I felt like he was a, a tier above them. 
but how's that going to look when I didn't take those guys? And like you said, Jay, Mike, buy, buy back those years. Um, I chose Mixon going into a second deal that he might not get, and I might miss out on a whole year of someone who should be giving me running back one numbers. It's just a scary position. You don't win with them, and you don't win without them. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the hard part. I mean, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Jimmy. No, I, and I was just gonna. I, I wanted to give a practical application for what both of you just described, and I want to make sure that people understand kind of what what we're walking through because I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of meat here, and I really hope. Gosh, this is so good. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying this. This is, this is the good stuff. So. Um, when you're in the championship hunt, and this goes back to what Chris was talking about, when those points are getting scored and you realize that your RB2 um, is, I don't know, uh, so, someone who's just lacking, like all the, let's say you had Philip Lindsay last season, and you're like, man, he's not giving me the same juice that he was giving me a year ago, and this is what, like, I need this position to perform for me. I've got the team around him to do it. We've got to do this. You find yourself making trades like I made with Wildy in the season, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it, but one of those things that you kind of get hype on and people hype you up or gas you up a little bit, man, you know, you, you've got a team that's ready to compete, man. You, you can't you can't waste this time. Absolutely. You can't wait. You can't mm-hmm. wait for this to, to take place. You've got to go and take the bull by the horns while you can. So myself, when I was sitting on a billion firsts at this point because – I'd done some earlier trading and was feeling really good about my team. I did the crazy thing and I traded a first round pick in this 2020 draft. And this is again in the season. I traded this to Wildy for Le'Veon Bell. And at the time, at the time, Le'Veon Bell, I don't know if you all remember this, but toward the end of the 2019 season, the Jets were about to have this scrumptious schedule mm-hmm. where it got real soft. And Lev Bell was set to eat. We were that all was excited. My main because, talking point. Yeah. Yes, and the, and the Jets, the Jets' offense was had been sputtering, but they showed just enough in moments to make you feel like, okay, Donald will get it together in the end, and we'll get it together and whatnot. Well, b- bumpkiss on all of that because essentially what, <laughs> what ended up taking place is uh, I ended up trading a first round pick. This first round pick um, that that I could have had to really bolster my team for this coming up year. Um, would have been, I think it was that 105 pick. I, I want to so say too. it was mm-hmm. where you got 105 where you ended up getting Herbert. So with yep. all the other maneuvering I could have done, I could have walked away with three stud running backs in this draft. But instead, mm-hmm. I got stuck with the lump of coal of Le'Veon Bell in pursuit of the title. So w- what I learned from all of this is, um, it, and maybe it's not blanket across, but I don't know in the future that I'm going to be moving many future firsts. I don't think that I don't think that that's because it feels like and and I'm curious your thoughts on this because it feels like a losing proposition just in the matter of if you get the championship, typically you don't care. Life is good. You pop the champagne, you run around your house like a nut and your wife laughs at you and life is good. Right. But (laughs) but if for whatever reason you fall short, you look back and you can watch the value of that one at first rounder continue to grow from whenever you traded it in October or November. And we're watching this five, six month ramp up where we're watching that pick soar, no matter if it's in the front of the round, in the back of the round, if the draft is robust with players, if we feel like it's a dearth of players, like in 2018, where we like the top, but the back end's kind of weird, but you can still sneak an AJ Brown. 
you can still sneak up, you know, value in the midst of that. So I don't know that that's something that I'm going to consider in the future, moving a first for uh, an aging running back or one of those backs that are on their second contract. What, what, are, what are your all thoughts? And I don't mean to hijack. I just wanted to, I wanted to give some application to kind of what we talked through there. So I had to cut it off right there. I didn't want to take it too much longer. And we have about maybe 25, 30 minutes left in our conversation with J. Mike. But I thought it would be a decent spot to kind of cut it there as we were getting into discussion of second contract running backs. But we'll dive into it a bit more in the second part, along with wrapping up our discussion into league strategy and whatnot in the second part. So hope everybody enjoyed and y'all take care. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic